Okay, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of the word. Our scripture today is 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know, that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning either seen, has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God, but this is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, as Kevin mentioned, my name is Jeff Nine. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I've been here uh, a number of times, uh, love this church, but if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors at Frontline Church in Oklahoma City, and uh, and, and, and I, it's, just a, it's just an honor for me to be here. Um, I, I want to say this, I am, uh, you are deeply loved, and there's deep affection and, and deep, in, a, in, a, in a, a, a healthy way, pride for you. We are proud of you. Uh, there are the, the number of churches that, that some of you are aware of uh, the ways in which we, so when we, do, when we do church planting as a church and as we partner with other church plants, the whole focus is we want to, we as much as we can, do this the way that Paul does this. Um, Paul would plant churches and he would send leaders, and then he would send people back and forth, and they would encourage one another. And Paul would often say, I want to be with you. And these churches would begin to relate to one another and stay connected, and leaders would, would go from one church to the next. And there would be this sense of this recognition that we are one church, even though we're separate local churches in separate states. Um, TJ and I were talking about this just a second ago. It's like, hey, in heaven, we're, we're, there's not going to be the frontline cloud and the sacred mission cloud, and we're just never going to see each other. We're one church. We're one people of God. So Quorum Deo is, a, is not a separate church. It's a, it's a member of the church of God. And so I come here not as somebody from another church, but as a brother in Christ in a part of the church. And I'm really grateful to be here. And yet, that said, what God does 
He does particular things in particular places at particular times. And so what God is doing in his grace here is a massive encouragement. People in, front, in Oklahoma City, people in Omaha, Nebraska, are praying regularly for you and are rejoicing in what God's doing and are asking God for more grace. And, and my prayer is that you would pray for us in the same way as what you guys are doing here in Collins. We're striving to do in Oklahoma City. Other churches are doing it in other places. And so I just want to say you're loved. Um, we have, as a church, wanted to just say, uh, how can we support? How can we encourage? And so uh, I'm, I'm here just to be able to, to come alongside and hopefully encourage. Uh, uh, Christy's going to be back next week. Tanner's up next week preaching the word. Like we're, This is, a, this is a, a partnership that we want to do together, but I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want to especially say thank you for being here. Um, it, it, it's, it, there's a, there can be a sense of, of discomfort to step into a place where, like, am I the only one that believes the way I believe? And I just want to say, hey, at this church, you're welcome here. That what we believe is that the good news of God is for you, as it's for all of us. And so if you're here and you've got questions, we'd love to talk to you about them. If you're coming in with burdens and you need prayer, we want to pray with you. That we actually don't want this to be a service and then we leave, but actually a people, a community. And so if you're, if you're coming in and you've got questions or you're coming in and you have burdens, we want to, we want to meet with you and pray with you. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Uh, John's pretty straightforward, and that text says some things that make our eyes pop a little bit. And, and, but I actually think, this, I mean, but I know that this is actually for our good. So I want us to look at this this scripture in First John and go, what is John teaching us today? Um, but we need the Holy Spirit to teach us. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today? Would you give us understanding of, of, of your good news towards us, your love for us, your freedom, the freedom that you offer in Christ? We pray that you would forgive us for our sins, that you would cover our our, our failings, but we also ask, would you give us the life that is in Jesus? Teach us, I pray, today. Form us today, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if, uh, unless you live uh, in a hole somewhere and just happen to pop out today, you're aware of the fact that we live in a cultural moment in which there is no shortage of advice or ideas on where to find the good life, where to find fulfillment, where to find happiness, right? I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it seems to be offered at every turn, whether it's on Instagram and TikTok, both of things are like too cool for me. I'm not even on them. I don't know, understand them. But I hear that there's a lot of people trying to tell you how to find the good life on these platforms. That we can go to talk shows, whether on the radio or on TV, and they're spouting wisdom for how we can find life and fulfillment and find a good life. There are books and magazines, political parties and leaders, pop culture. We are, we are inundated with messages that says this is the way to life. If you want to find life, then be an authentic self or improve yourself this way or be your own individual or often this kind of vague spirituality. I'm not Christian, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I don't know what that means. I don't think they do either. But the point is that we're offered these things to say this is the way towards hope. This is the way towards freedom. We're inundated with these messages, aren't we? So here's my question. Does the Bible speak to that question of the good life, or are we supposed to just kind of grasp on our own? I hope the answer is obvious. Yes, the Bible actually speaks to what it means to find life. 
And actually, John set this up. Tanner preached on this two weeks ago. He actually shows us this in the first couple of verses. So I want us to back up for just a second to 1 John 1 and look at these first couple of verses. If you've got your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to be in 1 John the whole time. 1 John 1, verse 1. This is how he opens the book. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of what? The word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. I love this. And we are writing these things so that, your, so that our joy may be complete. You see, whatever John is saying in this book, he is leading us towards life, and he's saying, I'm actually writing this so that you will find joy. We often look at the way of what, what Christian faith looks like, and, 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 and there's this predominant idea in our culture that says that, that, that Christianity actually pushes back away from life, that actually is, is something that doesn't lead to life. It actually suppresses joy. And what John says is no, that actually the way to life is the way of Jesus. That's what he's going to do. Now, what he does in this book is he doesn't just go in a linear line. And if you've read 1 John, you realize like he just kind of circles back to these ideas and concepts, things that showed up in the, in the text that Tanner preached uh, two weeks ago, things that, that were in the text that Dusty preached last week, things that are in the text this morning, things that will show back up in a couple of weeks. Or he circles back around to these different ideas, but all of these things are leading to this introduction, that he writes these things that we might have life and that we might have joy. So what about our text this morning? There are three things I think we find in this text. We find an encouragement, we find a warning, and we find an invitation. We find an encouragement, we find a warning, and we find an invitation. I want us to look at these in turn. Let's look at our text, 1 John, starting in chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Listen to this, verse 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has, yet not, has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who, who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. You see, John, fundamentally, his encouragement to this church is not, hey, you're doing a great job, and you have a long list of good works, and I'm really proud of the things that you've accomplished. He doesn't go, hey, show me your resume. Oh, that looks good. You got a nice resume. You got good experiences. Look at how you were nice to that person the other day when they weren't nice to you. Look at all the, the kind things that you say to others. His encouragement is not fundamentally in what they do. His encouragement to them is who they are. You are children 
of God. That right there is profound. That, that what, what John is doing is he's starting with the fact that where, where we begin is not with what we do. Where we begin is who we are. What is our identity? John says, you are, he's writing to this church saying, you have been rescued by God. You have been saved by Jesus. You are, you have been adopted as his children. So before anything else, we need to recognize that our relationship to God is not of, of steward to boss or steward to, to, um, to employee or, or some kind of relationship like that. It's not that my relationship to him is like, uh, is like a, a trial victim and a judge. That my relationship to him is as children to a good father. What he's saying is that our identity precedes our actions. Who we are actually shapes what we do, not the other way around. We don't work our way into becoming children of God. We are made children of God and then action flows after that. I love that in chapter 3, verse 2. It says that when he appears, we shall be like him. And here's the question I had as I write this. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Like, why, why does what, what we're going to look like in the future matter for right now or right today? It's because recognizing that what God is saving us from and saving us towards is something that doesn't start after death. It starts right now. That what God is saving us from and saving us towards begins now. You see, what God is working on is not simply cleaning up our behavior, but actually changing our affections, changing our desires. That as we recognize ourselves as children of God, we begin to not just do the things that God does, we begin to love the things that God loves. That we actually begin to have affections for the things of God and, and, and desire and, and long for things that He longs for. Why do we work for righteousness around us? Is because God is at work for righteousness around us. Why do we work for justice and mercy to care for those that are, that are, that are, that are lacking around us? Because that's what God is doing. God loves, God cares, and so therefore, as we see him as he is, we will be like him. The declaration is that one day this work will be complete, but it's not that something that we just wait until then. It's actually that right now we're called to pursue that kind of life now. This is why he says there in verse, uh, in verse 4, or verse 3, that for everyone who thus hopes, in other words, our hope is not in that we perfect ourselves, but that God one day will perfect us, that God will transform us, that God will change us, that for those of us to have that hope, we purify ourselves as he is pure. We pursue purity. You see, we need to recognize purity is not a burden, it's a gift. Purity is not a burden, it's a gift. That this is something that God calls us to because of what John starts the whole letter with. is I'm writing so that you might have life and that you might have joy. But we all recognize that inside of us are a lot of competing desires that we may not want anybody else in this room to know. We may see this passage and go, yes, I, I believe I'm a child of God, but, but I also know I don't love the things he loves. 
I also know that there are things inside of me that are not good, not right. Or am I just the only one? If so, then somebody else take the mic, preach at me, because you guys don't need it. No, we feel this, don't we? We feel the disconnect between what we ought to be and what we are. And we feel this tension, which is, I think, why when we get to the verses we're just about to read, we feel really uncomfortable. So, to make you feel uncomfortable, let's read them. 1 John 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Whatever these verses say, it is very clear what John is saying is that those that are Christians act like Christians. Now, that may seem obvious in one sense, but we do not believe in a faith. We do not believe in a religion. We do not believe in a spiritual tradition that separates uh, what we believe and abstracts it away from what we do and acts like they don't interact, like they're not connected. Like, you can be a Christian and it doesn't matter at all how you live. John says, actually, that's not true. That's not true. That actually what we do matters. And that Christians behave like Christians. Here's the, here's, here, there are two ways in which our culture often responds to this. One, though, is to actually grasp onto that truth and say, yep, that's right. And if you want to be a child of God, you got to act like a child of God. And then what they actually do is they take that idea of identity, the relationship between identity and action, and flip it. And say that if you want to be a Christian, you have to act like a Christian. That's not what John is saying. That's not what John is saying. Identity, he says, precedes action, not the other way around. But we can look at these verses and sometimes think, okay, if it means that to be a Christian I have to act like a Christian, then somehow my action precedes my identity. That's not true. There's another ditch that we, we, can, we can swerve to the ditch on the right or we can swerve to the ditch on the left. The ditch on the left says, ah, John doesn't really mean what he says. He's kind of a harsh old man and... Uh, I don't know, he has nothing better to do, so he just, he's just kind of tattling on you. And I don't know, just ignore what he says. It's all grace, right? It's all, all of the, that what God offers, he offers freely. It's all grace. So it really doesn't matter at all how you live. Well, no, John, John doesn't let us go into that ditch either. So what do we do here? Because if we're not saved by, if we're saved by grace and not by works, then what is he saying here? I, I, I want us to stop here for a second because it's really easy to misunderstand his words here. This is not merely about a translation of the move from Greek to, to English, while that's a part of it. It's about what does he mean by practicing lawlessness or practicing sin? 
What does he mean by keeps on sinning versus just sinning? I would like to think that my life could be defined by making mistakes once, figuring out what I shouldn't do, and then never doing that again. If you figured out how to do that, please, can we meet? I need help. Because I actually find in my heart that I tend into the same kinds of things regularly. Am I alone? So, see, we can see this and go, well, I've, I've made the same sin three times in the last week. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? So I think we, we sometimes either look at this passage and then we just get so covered in shame that we begin to doubt whether we're actually children of God or we just kind of push it out of mind going, I don't even want to think about it. I don't want our response to, the, to, to God's word for us to be that. So I want us to look at this, that what he talks about of practicing righteousness or practicing unrighteousness, what he means about keeping on sinning or walking in the way of Jesus is this. The question is, is the, is the direction of my heart towards righteousness or is the direction of my heart towards ignoring righteousness? If you find in yourself a repeating pattern of the same kinds of sins, but your heart desires to not be bound by it. That's actually a sign that this isn't who he's talking He's not talking to you right here. If, you, if the desire of your heart is actually to move towards holiness and, and your response when you, when you realize you've sinned is to come to God and ask him for forgiveness and ask the Spirit to help you live, then I just want to say, that's not what he means by keeping on sinning. But this is a real warning. And it's a real warning because in the church there are some who would presume upon the grace of God, sin, and not care. And he says, if you don't care about righteousness at all, and you just continue on sinning as if it doesn't matter, he's saying this, you don't understand the gospel. If your heart is not burdened by your sin, then you're not a child of God. And the warning is real because the error is real. You see, God's salvation is not a theoretical thing. There's this um, way of seeing the world that uh, predominated from the second century to the fifth century in, in Western culture called Gnosticism. Um, the, the, this idea of Gnosticism had emerged and developed as a, a response to an understanding of how we as individuals relate to spiritual things. Gnosticism was not merely a, uh, a, a something inside the Christian church. It was a cultural thing more at large where what we began to do was separate out how we relate to the gods or how we relate to righteousness or how we relate to the things of the Spirit and separate them out from the ways that we live. And they began to say that salvation is simply found in some kind of secret knowledge or secret affirmation. If you say the right words, it becomes practical incantations. All you need to do is know the right things. Have it in your head. Have it in your heart. That's enough. How you live, we don't care. How you navigate life, we don't care. And I'd like to say that Gnosticism ended in the 5th century, but I think it's around 
It shows up both in our secular culture, but it also shows up in the church, in which we begin to separate out the things that we know or the things that we affirm or the things that we believe, and we separate them out from what it means to actually be in the world. You see, the gospel is not Gnostic. The gospel does not separate these pieces out. But actually, the gospel brings what's going on in our head and our heart, and it brings us into connection with the, what our life looks like, what it means to live in the world. That the gospel affects all of us. I say that because if you, if your approach to, and I don't know, I, I know some of you and I don't know all of you, but here's the thing, I don't know what's on any of y'all's heart. I can have some ideas based on my interaction with you, but I don't know what's really going on here. And you don't know what's going on in mine. So here's the thing. When we look at this word, I don't want you to think about that friend of yours that's like, yeah, they, man, I really wish they were here. They really, need to, they really need to read 1 John. I don't want you to look outward. I want you to look inward right now. And I want you to listen and see if what John is saying is a warning that you need to hear. Have you begun to treat Christianity as a little add-on to your life that's merely like some kind of spiritual airbag? It's there if I get into a wreck, but otherwise I just hope it stays in the dash. Is Christianity to you merely a a mental affirmation, a spiritual affirmation that I, I believe these things, but it actually has no connection to what it means to interact with people, to, to actually live in the world? then John would say, don't deceive yourselves and don't be deceived. The gospel tells us that our identity precedes our action, but the gospel does not say they're not related. There's an an invitation to look at our life and ask the Spirit of God to help us see, am I living in a relationship to the gospel that presumes upon grace and does not pursue holiness? Or is the Spirit of God working in my heart to lead me into holiness? Now, the beauty is that he doesn't stop with these two things. He doesn't stop merely with an encouragement and then with a warning. And you're like, which one am I? What do I do? He gives us an invitation in this text. I want you to look at the last verse of our text, 1 John 3.10. John says this, By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I want you to to notice in that phrase there that it is evident who are the children of God. Again, we come back to the fact that his, his, his understanding of action follows after identity, not the other way around. That the fact that we belong to God is what is the starting point. But the invitation in John to all of us is actually the same. Whether, whether what you needed this morning was the encouragement, yes, actually, even in my sin, even in my wandering, even in the fact that my heart doesn't look like I wish it did, even in that I am reminded I am a child of God, that He loves me irrespective of how well I performed yesterday. Or if the word you really needed to hear today was the warning because you've been presuming upon the grace of God and not remotely trying to actually follow Jesus. Regardless of which 
which, which seat you're sitting in, the same invitation is to us. And John has two aspects to this invitation, an invitation to Jesus and an invitation to holiness. He invites all of us, children of God or enemies of God, to Jesus. He invites us to become children of God if we're not, and to rest in the fact we are children of God if we are. Our invitation is to Jesus, but it also is second to holiness. You see, the gospel fundamentally is about God's work to save us and adopt us and make us his children. I don't make myself a child of God. God makes me his child. Because of his good grace, because of his love for us, he sent Jesus to die in my place to take my sin and to offer me the life that he has in himself as a free gift that God actually adopts us as his children. This isn't a temporary affiliation. He's not like, hey, you'll be my children until I decide to kick you out of the house. That he makes us his children and we are his kids. The gospel is his work to save us, not our work to save ourselves. Let's be reminded of this by looking at 1 John 1, starting at verse 9. If you are carrying here this morning and you're carrying guilt because of sin or you're carrying weariness due to the struggle of what it means to follow Jesus, I want you to be reminded that John's not unaware. John's not unaware of the fact that we are not perfect, that we don't fully follow Jesus in every aspect of our life the way we ought to, that we are all, in this sense, works in progress. And, he, and the reason I know that is because he has these verses here. He says, if we confess our sins, which means what? That we sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen to this. If, he, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Do you see? This is what John's heart is, right? John's heart is that we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't sin, and the reason is because sin is the thing that leads to death. Sin leads to destruction. Sin is the thing that actually destroys, even when it looks like it promises freedom. So his desire, I write these things so that you won't sin, but look at this, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. See, look, the Spirit of God is not blind. He's not going to be caught off guard when you pray and go, I sinned. He's like, I know. <laughs> I know. He's not surprised. But he says that when we do sin, we have an advocate. I have someone who's for me. I have someone who loves me, longs for me, and will forgive me of my sin and bring me into his life. And see, that offer is there whether you've never come to Jesus and this morning he's calling you to himself for the first time or whether you've come to him a million times with a million sins asking him to forgive you and cover you and lead you into holiness. 
the same invitation is to all of us. Come to Jesus. We're going to get here in a couple of weeks, but First John 5, verse 10 through 12. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. But did you catch those first verses of chapter, uh, verse, uh, the first words of verse 10? Whoever believes. So the invitation from John is to believe on the goodness of our God. The second invitation is to holiness. That John is not going to say, hey, come to Jesus and then it doesn't really matter how you live. He's going to say, come to Jesus and as you come to Jesus, you will be transformed to look like him. We are actually brought into holiness. Let's look back at those first four verses that we read. I want us to circle right back around to them. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I come back to that because what we're talking about of holiness is not disconnected from that message. It flows directly from it. That when God invites us into the way of Jesus, he's actually inviting us into the way of life, the way of freedom, the way of joy. Now, the, Lord, the world will say, no, I have a better plan. I have a way that you can live however you want. I have a master plan, and, and you, can, you, can, you can just invent your own reality. But it doesn't take very much time for us to realize that that's a, that's a vapor of an idea. Actually, it's more than that. It's a lie. We think that if we just live our way, we will find life until we try it. You see, the way of Jesus is the way of life, which is why John is saying to us, to us that holiness really does matter. Holiness really does not matter. It really does matter. Not to make us children of God, but because we are children of God. That because of his work to rescue us from sin, he's rescuing us not just from the consequences of our sin, he's actually rescuing us from the presence, the ongoing presence of sin in our lives. That God wants what's best for us. He doesn't want us hurting ourselves over and over and over again. He doesn't want us going to, to wells that are dry or wells that are muddy. He wants to offer clean water. But here's the promise of Scripture, and the promise of John, and if we spent more time on this, I would, we could unpack this from all of John. But I want you to recognize that God forms holiness in His children. He doesn't leave us a, a, a rule book and then walk away and go, man, I hope you figure it out. That actually, Jesus says He has given us His Spirit to lead us into the ways of Jesus. So even the path of holiness 
is something that God does in us. The work in my life to become, look, to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I did yesterday is not because I'm smart enough, strong enough, figured out a secret sauce, prayed the right prayer, did the right thing. It's because the Spirit of God is at work to make me look like my Savior. And you may look at me and go, he's got a long way to go. He does. But by the grace that he offers in Jesus, we're making progress. That he's actually changing my heart to look like his. He's changing my affections to look like his. And I wish it would happen faster. And I wish I, I didn't get in the way of that so often. But I want us to recognize that God doesn't leave us to figure it out. He equips us. He leads us. He strengthens us. He encourages us. He is with us. So here's my question. Is what we needed from John today the encouragement or the warning? And if what you needed this morning was an encouragement because you feel so racked by your sin that you don't feel like you can get out of it and you struggle ongoing with the fact that I don't live the way I want it to live, I don't, my life doesn't look like it wants to, and I'm asking God to forgive me and to lead me, then let me encourage you. You are a child of God, and He will finish what He started. But if what you needed this morning was a warning that you've been hiding behind a facade, this fake little construction of your reality where you put forward a religious face, but underneath you really don't care about the things of God or long for the things of God or desire those things, and I hope you hear John's warning. The way of that path is destruction. But regardless of whether you needed the encouragement today or the warning, the invitation is to all of us. Come to Jesus. For us to find in Him forgiveness, to find in Him life, to find in Him presence. So I don't know what you brought in the room this morning, but Jesus does. And he also knows what you need. So as we respond this morning, I want us to come to this Jesus and ask Him for life. If that's for you is the first time today to actually trust him for the first time, then I, I pray don't leave out of here without praying with somebody. And, and, and there's, no, there's no magic prayer. There's no incantation. But we want to do this together. We want to pursue Jesus together. And so if that's you, we're going to have some people up here that can pray for you after service. I'll be right over here as well. If what you brought in is a burden of just needing the Lord to meet you where you are, to comfort you, to, to lead you into righteousness, to, to carry a burden then don't run out of here without having brothers and sisters gather around you and pray. If this church, if we're going to be a people, then it means that we need to lean on one another and to bring our burdens to one another. But as we bring them to one another, we're actually bringing them to our Savior. Can I pray for you? God, would you, Spirit of God, meet us where we are? For my friends in the room that needed the encouragement, I pray that you would speak that encouragement to their heart. To my friends in the room that needed to hear the warning, I pray that they would not run from that, but hear, it what, hear in it what you would say to them. 
But regardless, I pray that every single one of us in here would recognize that the invitation is always to Jesus. So would you change us to look more like you? Would you form this church so that people would look at sacred mission and go, I don't know what's happening there. I can't explain it, but it seems like God is at work. And that we could say it is, it, it, the only reason this is happening is because God is at work. Would you do this work in Coram Deo in Omaha, that people in Omaha would recognize your work in that church? God, would you do this in Frontline? in Oklahoma City, that Oklahoma City might look and go, I don't know what's going on there, but it seems like God's on the move, and we can say, yeah, he is. So I pray grace upon my friends this morning, and I'm asking that you would finish what you started and lead us to Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, would you stand with me? If you're serving communion, if you'd come to the front, You see, the beauty of the gospel, we talked about this, is not abstracted into mere ideas, but it actually is something of practice. And we actually get to respond to the gospel week in and week out here by coming to the table to receive real grace from a real God. So as you come this morning, if your faith is in Jesus, I pray that you would come and receive grace from your Savior. You would receive grace from your Father. I want you to bring the burdens you carry. If you're coming and you're saying, Jesus, I'm, I, need to for, I, need, I need forgiveness for this sin and I'm repenting of this, then I pray you'd just, you would say that to the Lord and come and receive grace from him at this table. If you're here and you'd say, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus, my faith isn't in Jesus, then I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. You're welcome on Sundays here. You're welcome in community groups. You're, you're welcome in this church to engage and, and to ask questions and to participate and to be a part of this family. But here's what I'm going to say. If your faith's not in Jesus, I'm going to ask you not to take this meal. And the reason is because this is actually a meal of faith. This isn't merely a, this isn't a ritual. This is us coming to our God in our real need for real grace. This is a faith meal. And so if your faith isn't in Jesus, I'm glad you're here. I'm going to ask you not to take this meal. What I'm going to ask you is that you would pray that the Spirit of God would speak to you. And I'll be over here at the end and love to talk to you. But if you would come and receive the elements, we're going to come back and we're going to take the, the bread and we're going to take the wine together as a celebration of His grace. So as you're ready, come. Mm-hmm.